This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it is Rebecca without Tara today. Uh, she is on vacation and I know that she is having a great time. She sent me a picture and I won't give away where she is in case she doesn't, doesn't want me to disclose that, but I will say beautiful blue waters, blue skies, green environment, and a boardwalk. That was so cool. I love that. But since I am an extrovert, I need someone else to chat with. So I invited our good friend, Sarah, to join me today. And we have a really fun subject. But first, what I would like to have happen is Sarah to reintroduce herself to people who may not know her yet. She's done a few podcasts with us, but I want to welcome Sarah today. Hey, everybody and Rebecca. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I guess I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. I live in Nova Scotia, Canada, so the East Coast. I'm, I'm sure just about everybody knows that, but in case you don't, the East Coast of Canada, our tagline is Canada's Ocean Playground. So we're, we're almost completely surrounded by ocean, and it's one of my favorite places I've ever been. I love it here. I'm a public librarian only for the last couple of years. I've had um, several career changes, but my most recent I'm absolutely in love with, and it's going to be my forever home, I think. And, you know, special thanks to Rebecca, actually, for so much <laughs> encouragement to uh, get on that path. It's it's definitely become the new love of my life. So and through, you know, through working there, I've had a great opportunity to talk to so many different people and expand my reading horizons, which was kind of a bit of the inspiration for, I think, our chat today. Yeah. And also, I want you to mention, because one of the things I find amazing about you is that you not only work full time, but you have a fabulous family and you plus you live in that amazing place. And I feel like your plate is always full, but I really appreciate it when you can carve out time to join us. But do you want to mention your family at all? Your wonderful family? Sure. I've got two little boys. Abbott is eight and Henry is four. And uh, my husband, Robert, he's an archaeologist. So he's away most of the time working. And so it's it's often just me and my, my two little guys. And I do work full time. And aside from that, I've got, you know, a, a, a hundred hobbies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to mention your needlework, because I have to say, I look at a lot of needlework accounts, you know, I'm just always kind of fascinated by that. And, and I'm not just saying this, but I swear no one has the talent that you have, because when I look at the work that you do, it's phenomenal. So I encourage people to check out your account. You, you do post a little bit here and there about it, but your work is, and that's what I'm saying is, I don't know how you also find time reading to, to read because of everything else that you do, all your hobbies. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I, I try to find little snippets of time. And I think it seems counter, you know, counterintuitive, but I think because I work full time, I actually find more reading time because I I read on my lunch breaks. I read on my like we get a couple of 15 minute breaks. I read on those breaks. And otherwise, I, I find it hard to actually dedicate and carve out specific time for reading. But my other like hot tip, if anybody is, is interested <laughs> to find more reading time is to actually make it a priority and almost, 
I almost schedule it into your either your day or your lifestyle. So so it's not just what you do when you have time, but it becomes an important part of your day, your self-care, your routine. So for me, that is in the morning while my boys eat breakfast, I sit at the table with them and I read uh, every day. And I don't like to eat breakfast until just a little bit later. So while they're eating, I read, we all kind of chat. I also, after they get off to school, I spend, you know, even 15, 20 minutes just reading before I head to work. So that's my routine. I know a lot of people like to read before bed and and whatnot, but I find I'm too drowsy then. But so I I make it a priority and it's just part of my part of my daily routine. And so I, I chip away at many books at a time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Tara does that because I know she reads like in the morning, I think it is that she reads her nonfiction. She usually has a nonfiction book and a fiction book going at the same time. And she carves out that time before work to read in the morning her nonfiction. And I need to do that more because I'm kind, I tend to try to get all my things done in the early part of the day. And then I'm sometimes I'm way too tired at night and then I start falling asleep. So I like this idea of like finding time, specific time to say, I'm going to schedule it for this. I think that's a really great idea. I think that would help me as well. Yeah. It's all state of mind too. Like where you say in the morning, that's when you like to get your things done. I think that's reading get is part of getting your things done. So if you know, that's your best time, spend your time on yourself, even if it's just 15 minutes. Yeah, that's a really good point because as I people I said in the a recent podcast, you know, I'm reading an Aesop's fable every day and then I kind of journal about it. And so you're right, I should take that extra 15 minutes and just do that as well. And then I know that I get my my reading in cuz I kind of have a goal and I got this from Tara as well. I just steal from everybody basically, but <laughs> I also got the idea to do like my minimum is to read 50 pages a day. And I know there are people who are reading a ton more than that. But my feeling is always like, if I get 50 pages in, I feel good. And I often read more than that. But I always feel like, oh, I hit my baseline. So I feel good. You know, I feel proud of myself to, to accomplish that. Because even though I don't have all of what you have going on in your life, it's like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I still run out of time every day. I don't know why that is. But oh, well. You probably take care more of the uh, life necessities than I do. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, maybe that's true too. I don't know. But uh, yeah, oh, I don't know. But anyway, so today though, you and I have talked about a, a topic that we've kind of gone back and forth about this because we are both sort of new to this, but we wanted to talk about fantasy today. And I looked up an article or I was looking for an article about fantasy because even when I was a working librarian and I never really looked up what fantasy meant in our collection in when I was in Sacramento, our fantasy and science fiction were interfiled and we just called it sort of like sci-fi and fantasy. And I started to realize, oh, people who read sci-fi and people who read fantasy, sometimes there's no overlap there. Like they, that's, those are the things that they read. So I kind of thought of it like, oh, there's two types, fantasy or sci-fi. So I looked up an article and I will put it in the show notes, but, and it's written, it, the article was written by Dan Brown. And so he has, I don't know, like seven, I think, categories. And I'm just going to kind of touch them, touch base on them just a little bit so you get an idea. But he's, 
his first one is high or epic fantasy. So he says it has its own rules and physical, the, the environment has its own rules and physical laws and it has a grand scale and it can center on a single well-developed hero or a band of heroes. And then he mentions obviously Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And then the next one, next category is low fantasy. And it says it's set in the real world and it includes unexpected magical elements that shock characters. And he mentions the plastic figurines that come to life in the Indian in the cupboard. Next is magical realism, which I think a lot of us know. And it, it mentions here that it, it uh, the characters accept fantastical elements like levitation and telekinesis. And the example he gives is Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude, which I have not read, by the way. But anyway, uh, let's see. Then we have sword and sorcery, which obviously makes sense. And he gives the example of the Conan, uh, the barbarian pulp fiction stories. And it's, he says here it can include magic or, or witchcraft. And then we have dark fantasy. And this is uh, has elements of, it combines elements of fantasy and horror. And he gives H.P. Lovecraft as the example. And again, that's someone I haven't read. And I'm curious, uh, Sarah, if you've read that one or read him before. And then we have Fables, which as people know, uh, I am reading uh, Aesop's Fables right now. So he's got that one as a category under fantasy. And then he has fairy tales, which I will be, and the example he gives is uh, the Grimm's fairy tales, which I will be reading. I will be starting that after I'm done with Aesop's fables in October. I think it's like mid-October that I'm actually going to finish that. And I'm going to maybe read a story a week or something like that. And I'm looking forward to that challenge. And then the last one he's added here, and I'm not sure that people would necessarily have thought of this one as a separate category, but he has superhero fiction. And he says, unlike stories in which a hero acquires special abilities through scientific means, such as exposure to exposure to radiation, these protagonists' powers are supernatural. Now, Sarah, having gone through all those types of fantasies, <laughs> did you have any clue that, that it kind of broke down into that many different sort of sub-genres? No, but it makes sense. And I mean, coming into this conversation, having not read that definition, I was fully prepared to kind of separate some things out and kind of question whether speculative fiction in particular would be considered fantasy. Because that to me was a question mark. But I, I can, you know, seeing them all laid out, I can see how they all fit in. And I really like it because I feel like people don't have to feel pigeonholed to take part in the genre. You can almost, there's something for everyone. And for me, I was somebody who was always saying, well, I'm not a fantasy reader. But then when I saw all these different levels of categories, I thought, oh, well, no, I can think of things I've read within those. Mm -hmm. So while I'm not a high or epic fantasy reader necessarily, I have read obviously a lot of fantasy. So, and with regard to speculative fiction, I always sort of thought that was more like in the sci-fi world. So is that not a more of a sci-fi category or what do you think? I'm wondering if sci-fi has as many derivations as the fantasy category does. So I think that might be that might be hard to you know to distinguish. Maybe maybe it belongs in both. Maybe 
maybe yeah. it only belongs in one. It, it probably depends on the particular elements that are in the story, but I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Now, do you consider yourself a fantasy reader? Tell me, like, explain to me why we decided to dis- discuss fantasy today. <laughs> I've read Tolkien. So I've read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and I absolutely love it. And I, I collect, well, I collect way more Tolkien books than I've read. I've got a whole, <laughs> a whole Tolkien shelf, and I just, I love it. And my husband and I are big movie Tolkien fans, and I'm more book, but he's definitely movie. And so it's 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 a big part of our life but I hadn't other than Tolkien I I really hadn't read much and I would have to kind of dig deep to pull out ones that would fit in some of those other genres like magical realism and fables and whatnot so I'm sure I have but it just none none come to mind as distinctly as Tolkien does Mm -hmm. but so I've been I've been watching a lot of TikTok and bookstagram and YouTube and I'm finding that, the, first of all, the majority of people I'm coming across, especially on TikTok, are, are reading fantasy. Yeah. And they love it. Like, they are they are so engrossed in it that you can't not want to read some of it. So they, they, they just love it so much. And I love a fandom. I am a fandom person. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got the, the Lord of the Rings, the Star Wars, the Super Mario Brothers. Like, I, lo- I love a fandom. I, <laughs> so I, yeah, I could, I could go on and on. So when I see that there's potential fandoms that I'm missing out on, I, I, have, to, I have to give it a shot. So I decided to just jump in. And, you know, I've noticed that library patrons having conversations with them like the the people who are reading fantasy they just they just light up when their books come in for them and they're so into it that I felt like I was missing out on something really really cool yeah and do you think are they the ones uh or are the ones that they are reading are they more of those like long series of fantasies yeah like those because that that's what get, that's what's daunting to me yeah I'm not yeah, so they're reading like the big long epics that are like one book, one book in the series comes in and it's like eight hundred pages. And oh my god! <laughs> and I, that's that's what I think when I see them come in, the books come through, and I. But at the same time, I think I feel like I'm missing out on something because it must be amazing. My nephew, it's so funny. My nephew. Uh, who's now, I don't know, like 35 years old or something. He was a kid who loved uh, to read fantasy. And then his mom was a big fantasy reader and big fantasy and horror reader. And they just had tons and tons and tons of books at home. But he has, they have like these shelves of just series. They could be like 20 some in a series and they just have massive shelves with all these series. And that is what I always felt that's how I thought of when I thought of fantasy that I thought, Oh, I already know I'm not a a reader of series that much. And that's why I think I, in my mind, I sort of just turned off the light and went not going to read fantasy because I can't do that. Right. And that's when I thought, okay, good. It's good to know there's so many other things I can read that are under that umbrella, but I'm pretty sure it's never going to be those big series. So are you thinking you're going to jump into those big, long series then? Is that kind of where you want to go? <laughs> so here's the thing. Another one of my favorite hobbies is collecting. So um, I feel like <laughs> okay. 
buying and collecting books is an entirely separate hobby to reading them, but they go really well hand in hand. So the idea of reading <laughs> a big series just like throws my serotonin into overdrive because I know I can then begin collecting like 15 books and (laughs) digging through the secondhand shops to look for the exact version that I want so that the spines all match, you know? So it just, it just checks off all the boxes. (laughs) So aside from the stories themselves, which to be honest are extremely daunting to me because I do struggle with keeping characters. Yeah. That's my issue. Yeah. So all the characters, all like the details it, the details this it's just that's that's what i find i think even more daunting than the characters is that i don't want to miss out anything on anything that's going to be important later but i won't realize it so a lot about reading fantasy books especially the big long epic series are overwhelming mm-hmm. but also just check off so many boxes that i've already begun to jump in wow now let me ask you where, how did you jump in? So for any of our listeners who are not fantasy readers, I'm going to tell you how I jumped in, but I want you to tell me how you decided to sort of jump into fantasy. Like how in the world did you navigate it? Okay. So a really good friend of mine loves Brandon Sanderson. And she really encouraged me to read his Mistborn series, which mm-hmm. is really, it starts off as a trilogy and then there's more books added later, but you can read it as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, so I decided because she was, she was really badgering me quite heavily to read this. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided, okay, I will try it to appease her. So I borrowed the first book of the Mistborn series. It's called The Final Empire uh, from the library. And I started reading it and I absolutely loved it. The story is, is, has some real depth to it. It's complex. The characters are incredible. And the magic system is not hard to understand. It's, it's, it was, it's really a good starter fantasy because you feel like you're reading something with some meat to it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not over your head, right? Like that was my worry is that things would be over my head because I don't have a whole lot of fantasy background to draw on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I started. And then I quickly realized that I'm not going to finish the book in the time frame I'm allowed from the library. So I returned the book and then I bought the small paperback version, which yeah. like mass market paperback, my absolute favorite form of book. How many pages is this particular title then? Oh, I don't approximately. Know. I th- I'm going to say approximately 700. Oh my God. Okay. Maybe 600. I'm not, I'm not sure offhand. I could look it up, but I'm not going to, uh, but it's big. And that's, that's volume one. So I'm about, I'm about three quarters of the way through it now and absolutely love it so much so that I picked up another Brandon Sanderson book that is a standalone set in the same type of universe, but it's a standalone novel. And uh, that's Tress of the Emerald Sea. And that has a really cool um, story to it of how that book came to be. So part of that whole um, lore behind that, how that book even came to be, I just thought was so cool. And people were talking about it all over the place. And I didn't want to miss out because my fear of missing out is also very strong. <laughs> so- <laughs> 
That's too funny. Yeah, so I picked that up. And now I'm just now today, I just today I went to a used bookstore to go searching for more. So I, I yeah. So you so your way to jump in was you had a friend that had been uh, I love this either badgering, nagging, whatever, which I love. I love our <laughs> friends who do that for us. But she kind of got you into Brand- Brandon Sanderson. Is that his name? Brandon? Yep. Sanderson? Brandon okay, Sanderson. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've seen his name. I know I've seen Mistborn. I've heard of all over the place and everything. So, okay, so that's how you kind of got into it. Now, for me, uh, <laughs> because you know what's really weird to me? My friends who are mostly librarian people you're going to be shocked when I tell you this. They don't really read as far as I can tell. I mean, they read, but nobody gets excited or shares what they've read. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something I talk to my friends about, which I think is a little odd. But anyway, so I don't have friends to my, like, I'm talking like in real life friends to talk to. Obviously, our bookstagram family, we talk about it all the time. But here's what I did. So I looked up an article and I found a Time magazine article from published in October of 2020. And it was the 100 best fantasy books of all time. And I thought, well, I'm going to look at this because I'm kind of curious about what have I missed in all these years, right? So the they actually had the Time staff, who I guess came up with a bunch of titles. If you look at the article, it'll explain exactly how they did it. But they had Dinah Gabaldon, Neil Gaiman, George R.R. R. Martin, among many other fantasy writers who also helped rank these books. So that list of 100 was kind of fun. So I want to mention the ones I have read. And that's when I said to myself, well, I've read a number of classic fantasies, which is exciting for me to know. But they are mostly children's books, not adult books. So I have read The Golden Compass, Tuck Everlasting, A Wrinkle in Time, The Phantom Toll Booth. I've read the first book in the Narnia series, but that's one of the series I want to complete. And then a book I read when I was in college, which I absolutely loved, was Watership Down. Absolutely loved that book. And I think, did you not like that one? I feel like one of my friends said they didn't like Watership Down. I haven't read any of those books you just mentioned. Oh, Oh my gosh, you have to. Okay, well, I we're going to, again, in the show notes will be the link to the 100 best. So you guys really take a minute. And if you click on the title, it'll tell you kind of what it's about. But you have to read Tuck Everlasting. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Anyway, they're all beautiful. But And then the last one I want to mention, which is really when I talk about fantasy, this is what I always say that I'm reading, which is the Redwall series. There are 22 books in the series. And I've read the first two, I think. And I know it's going to take me years to do it, and that's fine. But I love that because it is that sort of high fantasy. There's a quest, but it's all animals. You know, it's the mice and the rats and the voles and the badgers. And I, I love, love Redwall. And so that I, and for some reason, like I'm committed to that series. And I did the same thing. I got the fire, it's fire something. I can't remember the title of the publisher, but it's fire something. Anyway, I got the entire set. So it all matches 22 books. I love it. It's beautiful. And because years ago I was a part of the Redwall Club, they mailed us these like, like, uh, like baseball card type things. Right. And all of the cards match the books. So they're the bookmark that I use when I'm reading the books. 
and I'm short of I'm short of maybe like six of the cards. And I thought, oh, I think eBay is calling me, so I have to complete the entire you know set and everything. But anyway, so that's what I did was I looked at this list of a hundred and realized that I am a fantasy reader, just not those big epic series, except for Redwall. But yeah, so I felt <laughs> better about it, you know? Yeah. So you're not a fantasy reader, but yeah, <laughs> you are reading a fantasy that is 22 books long. Plus you are part of a fan club for the fantasy <laughs> series. I think you need to reevaluate yourself. <laughs> now I will I was a I was a member. I'm not a member anymore because actually the author passed the author passed away and so then I I thought well there's nothing new coming out of it so I I didn't continue with it. However, no but that's my point though is I had in my mind that a fantasy reader looks like this. Right. And that was my biggest, biggest mistake I made. And so I want to apologize to all of our listeners who are big fantasy readers, if you are, because I just had this really, all my life, I've just had this really narrow view of fantasy. So that's where I kind of went wrong. Yeah, I think uh, I'm also in the same boat where for a long time, I, that like, I, I was not a fantasy reader. Like I say now, I'm not a romance reader. Granted, I still stand by that. But I, 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 but I'll also dabble in romance as well. But yeah, I want to be a fantasy reader, and not just, not just where I can say I've read a few. Like I want to have the the knowledge that these people have about their their fandoms and their series because it just it seems like there's a lot of fun being had that I'm not a part of, and so I really want to be a part of it. <laughs> I agree. Well, I have to laugh because Tara and I, we watched this uh, webinar with genre writers and one of the things, Sherry Lapina, and I, we've talked about this before on past podcasts, but Sherry Lapina's point was that Canlit, because these were all Canadian authors, but Canlit is very serious. And she, in her opinion, she was saying that it often, they don't tell a good story. Story. And that's one thing that genre fiction does, but it doesn't get any respect for it. And so I want to just mention, so in that list of 100, I came across a book that I'm currently reading. I'm about 60 pages in and I am loving it because it passes the Sherry Lapina test, which is to say a great story that grabs you from the very beginning. I'm currently reading the classic which I'd never even heard of, Neverwhere, all one word, Neverwhere, by Neil Gaiman. And it says here, I'll just give you a little hint of it. It says, under the streets of London, there's a world most people could never even dream of, a city of monsters and saints, murderers and angels, knights in armor and pale girls in black velvet. Neverwhere is the London of the people who have fallen between the cracks. Strange destinies lie in wait in London, below a world that seems eerily familiar and that just grabbed me and he wrote it i think it was in 2002 or so that it came out and i have to tell you i am absolutely loving it and i so i think i'm going to be more kind of a fantasy reader of maybe those standalone titles but in this list of 100 that again that we'll uh, link to check it out because there were so many titles that I had never even heard of by authors that I'm a fam that I am familiar with that just sound fabulous. So if so if you're daunted like I am by those big series, 
check out that list because I think some of these great classics I'm really excited to read. Yeah, I think I what I love is that there are so many fantasy books that are deemed classics. So if you were, you know, a lot of people I find can be, especially readers of Canlet, and, and that's maybe because those are the circles that I tend to, you know, absorb content from online and, you know, in my job and whatnot. So yeah, and myself, like that's, I primarily read literary fiction, although that's slowly been changing and I'm really excited about it. But I think there can be a tendency to be a bit highbrow about, what we're reading and I'm I'm excited by the way I see that maybe changing and that could again be a reflection of the content that I'm specifically absorbing I don't know but I'm seeing people who were or were are reading a lot of that sort of book you know dabbling in other things or reading more horror or fantasy or mystery or adventure and and having a really great time at it and you know, where kind of the definition of literary fiction, just loosely, this isn't, you know, an actual definition, but it's the focus on the prose and the sentence structure and overall story structure and whatnot, often at the expense of, like you mentioned, a really great, fun story. Yeah. And I don't know if it's summer or age or just where I am in my hobby of reading. It's just right now, I really want a really good story. And it can also go along with a really great prose and great sentence structure and like, you know, a well-honed craft of book writing, but, um, or authorship, I guess is a better word. (laughs) But, you know, it's also okay if it's just a really good time. And that's, where I've been finding kind of my sweet spot right now is just, it's okay if I say, you know, this was actually a really kind of a bad book, but I had a really great time reading it. Those are some of my favorite reads. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because again, listening to that webinar with Sherry Lapina and many other uh, Canadian authors, I think there were six on the panel. You know, I think they as genre writers get the same grief you know, as often youth or young adult like uh, authors get, which is like, oh, it's a nice story, but it's for kids. Well, I am, you know, a senior citizen. Uh, I guess, I, I guess, I, I don't know what, whatever the age is. I'm, I'm in my mid sixties. But the point is, I still read children's books. I read picture books, novels, nonfiction, because I read that concrete book, which I love, by the way. Anyway, and then also young adult titles and. I think a good writer is a good writer. A good storyteller is a good storyteller. And I don't think it matters what age it's written for. But I think sometimes, I'll say sometimes, you know, as readers, we can be a little high on our horse and think that reading, good reading is only one thing. And I think Sherry Lapina and the others really made that case that they don't even, some of them said they don't even like being called genre writers because they're writers. And I thought, you know, I love that. And I don't think anyone should be criticized for whatever they read or don't read. It is just preference and and something to that makes you want to come back and read it, right? But one of the things I want to mention, so in that list of 100, the one book I couldn't get, the first book I wanted to read, I couldn't get, so I had to put a hold on it. But it's called Who Fears Death? And it, she's an African writer, so her name I'm going to try to pronounce here is, it looks like it's... Nettie 
Okarafor. Oka, I'm not sure. Anyway, that's, again, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> but anyway, it says here, and this sounded fabulous. It said, an award-winning literary author presents her first foray into supernatural fantasy with a novel of post-apocalyptic Africa. In a far future, post-nuclear Holocaust Africa, genocide plagues one region. The aggressors, the Nuru, have decided to follow the great book and exterminate the Okiki. And it goes on and on. And it's really, it's very, it sounds like it's very female-centered. And I thought, oh, this sounds really fascinating because, again, I wanted to add more literature about other countries, other regions. So I thought that one sounds really fascinating as well. So, again, I, in some ways, I think, God, all these years I've just put a label on something and didn't try to expand my horizons, right? So I'm just really excited to start to delve more into this. And also, it's funny, Sarah, that you talked about kind of even like, oh, maybe it's the time of year or your age or whatever, that what you're looking for in your reading. And I've talked about this a lot where I've I had a really bad slump this year, although I continued to read. I was reading children's books, so I, I was still reading, but I just was everything I picked up, I would look at it and go, eh, I just wasn't that into it. And the truth is a lot of it was literary fiction. So I think now looking at some, uh, some other things where there are just great stories, that's the number one part of it. I think that's what I needed. And I had even said to Tara that the rest of 2023 was going to be looking for books that are just really compelling and great stories and not worry so much about, again, you know, not to say literary fiction isn't that, but it's just, do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of, I do. I think we're kind of on the same page, right? No, I do. And um, while you were speaking, I was thinking that often, like just to, just to, you know, give it some framework, like literary fiction is often work to read. It's, yeah. it's valid. It's valuable. Like it's, you feel great when you, when you're reading it and you get through it and, you know, you feel a sense of accomplishment, but I do find it work. And part of that is because it's often centered around trauma, especially Canlet. It's kind yeah. of just like, here's my trauma, but make it artistic, you know, give it some yeah. prose. And I find it a worthwhile undertaking to read it and to internalize it and discuss it. But it's, I do find it's work. And I often have to get in the right headspace to say, okay, I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to read a chapter of this. I mean, I know it could be, it could be hard, you know, emotionally to get through. And I'm thinking of things like, like Jesse Thistle's, uh, Thistle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, now that wasn't fiction. That's a memoir, but you know, yeah. same, it's a, it's a literary memoir and, or literary nonfiction. And so something like that, like it's worthwhile, it's important, but it's hard. And right now, um, and I don't know why I can't, and it doesn't matter why, but I'm really just gearing towards a really good story. And some of those are also hard. Like there are things that happen in fantasy novels, um, especially I think that are really hard. There's a lot of, you know, slaughter and, you know, yeah. war, and, but it's, it's far enough removed from our reality. And I think that's the whole, that's what fantasy is. It's hard. It's far enough removed from our reality that you don't necessarily, you know, reflect too much on it and make it personal. So in that sense, like it's just you're immersing yourself into a whole different and it's that picture of reading that we always see as kids where like there's a kid sitting reading a book and then there's like a puff of cloud and in the cloud is like a pirate ship and yeah, travel and yeah. adventure. That's how I still see a fantasy novel and 
whether it's a high fantasy or low fantasy or, or any of the other genres you mentioned, like it really just transports you. And I think, you know, where I, I would have previously said that I'd be interested in like a high fantasy, <laughs> like the Tolkien, like the, you know, classic epic adventure. And, but I think my sweet spot is actually somewhere in between that and like a low fantasy. Like I like some magic and, you know, otherworldliness, but at the same time, I like it to be relatable enough that I don't find it too much work. I don't find it too hard to understand what's going on. And so I like a relatable character, but that something fantastical happens to. And yeah. so where I just finished Tress of the Emerald Sea, if anybody else is looking for that sort of sort of story, I 100% recommend it. It's a standalone. The magic system is cool and easy to understand. And, you know, it's a, it's a really great strong female character who goes on a really cool adventure and yeah I think anybody who reads it's gonna have a really good time yeah I'm gonna take a look at that one as well because I know Sanderson I've seen his name everywhere and in his books and and I like that he has a standalone title that I could check out and enjoy as well so I'm definitely gonna look into that and then I just have a kind of a side question for you I'm just kind of curious do you are you because you love, like you mentioned Star Wars and stuff, are you a sci-fi reader or is that not a genre that you've delved into very much? Yeah, I haven't delved into it hardly at all. I did just pick up, so there's another Sanderson, because like I said, I am, I'm going through the catalog now. Because There's another Sanderson book that just came out called The Frugal Wizard's Handbook for Surviving Medieval England. I think that it's a really long title, something like that. And it's a sci-fi. Mm -hmm. And I got like a hundred and some pages in and I just quit it. Like I wasn't, it wasn't for me. I don't think sci-fi really is yeah. for me yet, yet. But, yeah. you know, maybe in the future it will be. Now, I really loved Hench when that was a contender for Canada Reads. And I would probably oh, yeah. have previously considered that like a sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Maybe it's one of those superhero fictions or fantasy. I don't know. Oh, yeah, because I read Hench. I kind of, I'm not going to lie, I kind of sped through Hench because it. it wasn't, I did not love it. Yeah. And maybe because I was thinking of it as sci-fi, because I sort of feel the same way about sci-fi. But I do want to mention, it's so funny, the one thing in my head about sci-fi forever has been this one author, Theodore Sturgeon, because when I was at Berkeley, I did my undergraduate at uh, UC Berkeley, and I was in the geography program and so was Robin Sturgeon. And it was so funny because I didn't know who his father was, a famous uh, sci-fi author. And Robin was telling me one time that, you know, like when his dad's friends would come over, it was like Isaac Asimov and all these huge famous sci-fi writers. Oh, wow. So to, I know. So to Robin, they were just my dad's friends. Right. <laughs> and here he was, his dad was, really at that time that he was writing, he was one of the most well-known sci-fi writers. So there's, I can't remember the title of it offhand. I will look it up and put it in the show notes, but I do have it on my list to read because it's a great classic in sci-fi. And so I'm not sure how much sci-fi I would ever get into, but I do want to read this one particular one by Theodore Sturgeon just as a, a, a sort of an homage to my friend Robin when I went to school with him back all those millions of years ago. So, but yeah, I, um, I, again, I think it's just, I, I just closed the door on too many things, right? I feel the same way about myself. And, you know, I did read 
this year, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by is it Douglas Adams? Is that Yeah, Douglas Adams, yeah. yeah. And and that's a series, but I read just the first one. And that was so much fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I read that too. And it's so funny because I read it and it made no, I this no, I shouldn't okay. say this out loud. No, it made no impression oh. on me. Like I cannot remember at all anything about the book. And I read it back, oh God, it's been over 20 years ago now. But it's so funny that for some reason, I can say I read it because I did, but I can't remember anything about it. And people, I know it's a great classic. People love it. So. And you know what, if someone wants to give sci-fi a try, I think, and especially if you want to go back to the classics, I think that's a really accessible one to jump in with too, because it's short. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it 100 pages? It might be 120. It's really short. And, you know, not so out there that you have no idea what's going on. Like you're not dealing with a lot of technology and, you know, races of aliens that you can't keep track of. And, and it's, yeah. it's kind of satire as well. So funny if you like like a comedy crossover yeah so i think we've done a good job in explaining how we felt about fantasy how we feel about it going forward but one of the things i would love to ask our listeners please we would love to hear from you so if you're a fantasy reader please you know because we'll post to our social media to our instagram's account in blah we will post to our instagram accounts And so tell us, like, what fantasy titles have you read that you love? They can be classics. They can be current series. They can be the high fantasy. They can be whatever level that you want to talk about. We would love to hear from you. And also, if you have any sci-fi titles, I'd throw those out, too, because, again, I want to expand my horizons. But Mm -hmm. uh, we do want to hear from you. And our good friend, Justine, who listens to us on on our YouTube channel, which is just the audio, but she always gives us great recommendations. So I'm really curious to see if she's a fantasy reader and or a sci-fi reader. That'll be fun to know. I'm so excited for Justine's uh, suggestion. (laughs) I cannot wait for them. I know. Same here. So anyway, well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really happy uh, that you could, uh, like I say, carve time out of your very busy schedule to chat with me. And uh, you're always welcome, always welcome to come back and, and, um, and discuss books with us. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is always a really great time. And I'm excited to, you know, keep both of us sharing back and forth how we're expanding our reading horizons together. I agree. And as Tara always says, happy reading. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.